0: Welcome to Playground Books, essays revisiting the stories I first read as a kid and loved enough to spend my recesses reading. Warning, this is a sad story, even though it's not told in a very sad way. And when I say sad, I don't really mean sad. I mean, this story conveys a deep, futile desire to escape what cannot be escaped and undo what cannot be undone. This is a story in which the only happiness to the ending is in that it is not the end, which, of course, carries with it no guarantee that anything will get better, but at least there's also no assurance that anything will get worse. I never really liked historical fiction. I never really liked history, which is one of the great paradoxes of my particular interests in that history is a story of the world and the people in it, and I like stories. I like writing them, I like reading them, but history hardly ever grabbed me, maybe in part because it's a story that's too complicated and unchangeable, and there's no rule that every detail must pay off and every character must have an arc. It's a story that you can't get out of, and it's a story that you can only hope to make better in a future that you will never have the hindsight to see. When you learn about things like the Great Depression and the American Dust Bowl, the major response, at least the main response that I can see, is the instinct to look away, to escape, and be glad in a terrified sort of way that you aren't living in the middle of that historical moment. I'm avoiding the parallel. I'm avoiding the metaphor. When I first read this book, like, I imagine, most other schoolchildren who were given it, It was in the context of history class to learn about the Dust Bowl, this time of severe drought in the American South and Great Plains during the 1930s, compounding the suffering of the Great Depression as crops withered, animals died, and the land lost hold of itself, unrooted topsoil blowing away in the wind, creating dust storms, also called black blizzards which I think is about as emotive as you can get about the idea of inescapable clouds of choking dust swallowing up your town and your life. So I remember reading textbooks and American Girl Doll stories and even letters from the time period, but this book in particular stuck with me. And mostly, I think that's in the fact that it's poetry. Out of the Dust is a novel written in free verse, Which means poetry written without a regular rhyme or meter. It tends to fall fairly close to natural speaking patterns, with line breaks landing for emphasis and to divide images, rather than the whole structure being defined by a pattern like in form poems, sonnets, villanelles, huzzles, haikus. In this book, the poems are divided by time, starting with winter 1934, and each one ending with the date, January 1934 all through December 1935. When I say that out loud, it sinks in what a long time period this book covers, two whole years. Which of course you feel reading the book as different plot points unfold, but also just because it's so short and the poetry style makes it so spare, it's a little astounding that it stretched over so much time. Like Bobo Baggin says, like butter scraped over too much bread. We start out with an introduction to the characters and a setup of important images. Our narrator, all of the poems told from her first-person eye, is a 13-year-old girl whose father named her Billy Joe because he wanted a boy, and quote, instead, he got a long-legged girl with a wide mouth and cheekbones like bicycle handles. He got a red-headed, freckle-faced, narrow-hipped girl with a fondness for apples and a hunger for playing fierce piano. I appreciate the efficiency of poetry, because in these couple lines, we also get the motifs of piano, and the apples that become a metaphor for the hope of growth and the coming baby her mother is pregnant with. We learn we're in the Oklahoma panhandle on a dying farm, and across the next poems, we also get snapshots into the hardship and starvation settling into the region, where two farmers start betting how many rabbits they can kill for eating the crops when there isn't anything else around to eat and families are moving west, hoping to get out to California, even though there isn't any real way to avoid the time period that they're in. The format of Freeverse is effective here as it's used for short moments, short memories that dial into specificity. It works with the child narrator to feel like the way you seize on to details as a kid, and for a day, a week, All that is important is this rabbit-killing contest, or the clean-up after a friend's going-away party, or the grade you got on a standardized test and how your mom reacted to it. Or really, either it's the only thing that is important, or it's the only thing that you can remember, hang importance when what really matters is that it's stuck in your brain. Coincidentally, this is also how I pick which books to revisit. Each poem is allowed to be fully about one small thing, and the way they stitch together is what makes the larger narrative, as opposed to if this book was written in prose and needed to fill in all of the details in between, which is a much fuller way of telling a story, but also sometimes unnecessary, when you really just want to highlight specific images and specific moments. Another strength of the poetry is the way it looks on the page, which I does seem odd to have to explain, but because it's not the default paragraphs of prose, the decisions about where to break the lines and where to place the words can carry additional meaning. Billy Joe is invited to play a piano solo at a local show, and in the poem titled On Stage, every other line is offset so that taken together, they look like black and white piano keys. The story moves on with depictions of Billy Joe's mother's apple tree growing hard little balls of unripe sour apples, and her father believing in rain even when it's not coming because he's a farmer and farmers have to believe in rain. It captures the sheer futility of the Dust Bowl and the Great Depression that I had such a hard time facing in elementary school when any relief or change in the situation is completely out of your control. I'm avoiding the metaphor. The next big plot point that acts as a hinge for the whole book is a heart-stopping accident. Billy Joe's father puts a bucket of kerosene in the kitchen, and her mother, thinking that it's water, picks it up and pours it on the stove, setting herself and the room on fire. She frantically runs out the door into the garden, and Billy Joe tries to help, but here again is a trick or power of the poetry in that the line breaks allowed for delayed information to amp up the impact because when billy joe picks up the pail of kerosene searing burns into her piano playing hands and she throws it out the house out the same door that her mother just fled through quote i didn't know i didn't know mom was coming back there's a moment like this in a lot of stories that are hard to read And sometimes I do have a difficult time with them, because in a novel, bad things have to happen. Things have to go wrong, otherwise there's no conflict. If Bertha Mason isn't revealed, Jane Eyre doesn't find out the truth about Rochester. If Obi-Wan doesn't die, Luke isn't motivated to blow up the Death Star. If there's no Box Hill, Emma doesn't realize she has to change and become a better person. But at the same time, when you're inside the story... There is nothing more that you want than to undo it. So you have this simultaneous feeling of deeply wanting this not to happen when the story only exists because it did happen. You may want a different story to be told, but this is the one you get. The life you get when the world is so deep in dust. Billy Joe gets a mother who smells like scorched meat, and only survives in agony long enough to give birth to a baby brother who also dies within a few days. She gets a father who sinks into a depression of drinking and ignoring her, and she gets people whispering at the funeral, Billy Joe through the pail. Billy Joe through the pail of kerosene. At the same time, on top of the horrible drought, there comes a wave of grasshoppers eating everything in their path, Another unstoppable force of nature destroying life with nothing you can do about it. And the unripe apples on the tree that symbolized growth and new life are nothing but cores by the time the woman who cultivated them dies. It feels unfair, but it's hard to say that it's unreasonable to have written when the book is based on real historical events, where families did watch their lives dry up and get eaten away, and probably did think, like Billy Joe does, Maybe none of us were meant to be here. Let's talk about types of conflict and which show up in this story. The two overarching categories are internal and external. Good stories have both. Internal conflict is man versus self. Excuse the gendered terminology. Especially in the latter half of Out of the Dust, Billie Jo struggles more with what she wants and what she feels like she should do or even what she can do. She contends with her own fears and traumas, and it does make her a more well-realized character. But still, this conflict can't help but be dwarfed by her context, her external conflict. Lists of these appear in slight variations, but together all of them up, there's man versus man, man versus society, man versus technology, man versus supernatural, man versus fate, and obviously the big one in the book, man versus nature. Technology and supernatural aren't relevant here. Man and society only pop up in brief isolated poems, like The Rabbit Bet and the Rumoring. And fate is compelling to me from a meta perspective. Especially with historical fiction in horrible historical moments, dropping a character down into this setting kind of is sealing their fate before you begin. There's less ambiguity about where this story can end. There's no possibility of radical escape from fate, unless you're okay with knowing you've crossed into revisionist history, and that in itself is enough to strike fear into the heart of any oracle or blind soothsayer. But we still here have to come back to man versus nature, which has an interesting ability of these types of conflict to be among both the most tangible and the most overwhelming, in the meaning that it will overwhelm you. I can't help but keep using the word feudal here. Bearing all that in mind, where can Karen Hess take us with this story? Except letting life go on. There are dust storms compared to volcanoes, and Billy Joel holds herself together when she and her father feel like they don't know each other anymore. The burns on her hands from the kerosene mean that she can't play piano without pain. And in one poem... She goes to see a neighbor's flower that blooms only one night a year and burns up with the first light of the sun. She gets good test scores on an annual state exam and remembers the year before when she was upset at her mother's subdued reaction that she knew she could. One of those little things that aren't enough until you have nothing. Her teacher talks about how the Great Depression and the Dust Bowl snuck up on the country because of people's own actions, and says, quote, Such a sorrow doesn't come suddenly. There are a thousand steps to take before you get there. All of it is told in this voice that's so matter-of-fact, while still being deeply affected by all of the hardship she faces. When Billy Joe says, I have to go away and walk off the feeling, even that simple statement conveys her soul-carried trauma. But because it's presented through the vocabulary of a Southern child, there's a roughness and an undisguised quality to the events. That's not a slight against Southern children, by the way. I was a Southern child. But they aren't cloaked in decorations of style, just like they aren't hidden in wordiness of prose. Each poem is told in a very close retrospective so that they read like diary entries and a little bit like letters, giving the book the feel of an epistolary novel that locates it in the past. Eventually, Billy Jo starts trying to play the piano again and places third in a talent contest where she can't even hold the award after because her hands are in such pain. And also, a photographer comes to town, looking for suffering to frame. I caught on this one detail, it's only mentioned in a single poem, talking about the photographer and what is expected from people whose situations are framed for pity and catharsis. She asks what's going to happen to them once the photographer moves on, just like the last kids he made famous through his pictures were taken from their family. There's an iconic image that probably comes to your mind when I talk about the Great Depression before I even have to describe it of a migrant mother with her children burying their faces into her neck, squinting into a future she can't foretell. You can see the worry and tiredness on her face, but who she is, what her name was, her history, the photographer Dorothea Lange didn't bother to record, instead letting her symbolize the hopelessness of a stereotypical Dust Bowl refugee. But in addition to the exploitation at play here, it also turned out to be misrepresentation. Years later, the woman in the photograph came forward, frustrated by the fictionalized story that had been passed along with her picture. Her name was Florence Owens Thompson. She was Native American and worked picking cotton to support six children, and she and her family were only in the migrant camp briefly when their car broke down. She is quoted as saying during that time, We just existed. We survived. Let's put it that way. So why am I mentioning this? because I think it's important to stay attuned to the stories we tell about hardship and the people surviving it. What do we do with suffering when there's nothing to be done? The exploitation that Florence Owens Thompson felt, that Billy Joe wondered about, indicates how much easier it is to see an aesthetically composed instant and make assumptions for sympathy's sake before quickly moving on, shaking the dust from our souls. When we're more interested in the frame than the subject It's easy to stop imagining people as people, and thus their lives as anything real. In the back end of the book, Billy Joe runs away, riding the rails out toward California, trying to escape the dead end she's stuck in and her father who doesn't notice. But it doesn't last her very long, and she returns after a week to reunite with her father, ready at last to begin to regain each other's trust after both blaming each other for the accident with the pail of kerosene. It leads you to ask if the narrative is circular, or what momentum can be had when the historical context means you're stuck in place. But there are two things that, if not resolve, at least address that issue for me. The first is that when Billy Joe gets back to her father, she says, quote, I tell him about getting out of the dust and how I can't get out of something that's inside me. This is the thing that it's hard to even call a metaphor when it's so obvious, but it is the Great Depression as a metaphor for depression and for grief, for her mother, for her life, for a family that's irrevocably changed and a future that isn't going to happen. There is no escape. There is no putting your sorrow down. There is only learning how to hold it. I've been avoiding the parallel, but... I read this book, and it feels like now. It feels like being trapped when there's nothing to escape to. It feels like knowing you are in a moment in history, the kind you read about in textbooks and were glad in a terrified way that you weren't in. It feels complicated and unchangeable and futile. So what kind of an ending can we have? What kind of an ending can a book like this give us? What except for continuing, as Florence Owens Thompson said, to exist. Billy Joe's last poem concludes, Sometimes, when I'm at the piano, I catch a reflection in the mirror, standing in the kitchen, soft-eyed, while Daddy finishes chores, and I stretch my fingers over the keys, and I play. Thanks for listening. The music is by David Hillowitz, The book is by Karen Hess. The opinions are by me. For the next episode, I'll be rereading The Tale of Despero by Kate DiCamillo. Talk to you then.